Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, broken with your mouth wide open, biting the hand that feeds you, Hotel California, and Napoleon Dynamite. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Doug Cooper, your not very humble host of This Is Vinyl Tap. And I am joined tonight with Tony Slagle. Hello, everybody. Tony has made the trip from South Austin to join us in the nice part of Austin. <laughs> Jonathan J.M. Rowe, our extremely humble uh, producer, with reams and reams of reasons to be humble, is also with us tonight. Yep. Made it from the great white north. Hello, Tapsters. Okay. We're very excited about tonight's album, but before we get to that, we want to thank everybody who came out to Woodrow's for the trivia night. Uh, we broke all kinds of records there for a Tuesday night. Uh, we had uh, a large number of well-informed teams. If you're unable to come to that, we hope you'll come to the next one because there will be another one soon. Uh, unfortunately, it will probably be in Austin. We're trying to get to uh, <laughs> France to... Uh, for, and, our, for our biggest fan. And I think, unfortunately for Doug, it'll probably be in South Austin. <laughs> I think that's... I like to go there with the hoi polloi. Well, I think um, that's I'm the one who's the most screwed in that regard. Well, yeah. 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 Um, well, move, move out of Waco. Uh, did he just make it about himself? <laughs> he did. God, he did. All the Man, time. Always. All the time. I've got a letter Somebody here asked from to. Ginger House. Uh, and she wants to know more about the drinking game so y'all help me answer this question now, there is right. a this is vinyl tap drinking game and basically we're uh, apparently there's some things that are repetitive uh if J jonathan Rowe, jonathan jam Rowe, uh makes it about himself uh you can take a drink <laughs> if uh tony says power pop you definitely can uh take a drink watch out tonight <laughs> <laughs> It's not as going to be as bad as a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. Uh, what else do we have? Oh, if I'm right, you take a break. <laughs> oh, so it's sober evening. A lot, most of, of, the a time. lot of you are going to be uh, needing to Don't. call an Uber if you do that. The boohooing? Uh, the boohoo, yeah. yeah. James says boohoo. You got to take a drink. What else do we have? And then if Doug ever disparages a basis, which he rarely does, <laughs> um, yeah, that might happen. He's going to have a hard time doing that tonight, though. Uh, nope. I just have to lie. Um, <laughs> I think he's going to have a hard time doing that yeah. tonight as well. Uh, speaking of tonight, let's talk about tonight. 
we I can't believe we made it this far without talking about this gentleman. Uh, we're talking about one of the greatest songwriters in rock and roll. Uh, we're we're talking about an innovator. We're talking about a guy who has fingerprints all over the landscape of uh, rock and roll. Are, are you talking about Declan McManus? <laughs> I am. In fact, he may be more familiar to some in our audience as Elvis Costello. Yep. And uh, we're going to be talking about his second album. Notice how I didn't say sophomore. I said second. <laughs> it's possible. We're going to talk about his second album, this year's model. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if, if you're uh, confused, you shouldn't be because this is obviously a Tony Slagle pick. Tony, <laughs> yes, why did Doug. You pick this album. Well, I picked this. Uh, well, for one thing, I'd just like to say it's certainly not a sophomore slump, Doug. Uh, I, I, I picked this album. Well, I wanted to do an Elvis Costello album, and I was struggling with whether it was going to be this one or My Aim is True. I, I'll have to admit, I think I cheated by picking this one because it's hard not to talk about this without at least touching on My Aim is True somewhat uh, for various reasons, which we'll get, in, get into. But I think the main reason I picked this album is uh, it's the first one with his band, The Attractions, and... It's the first album of his that I fell in love with. I heard um, this uh, this year's Girl on the Radio years ago. And, radio! And fell in love with that song. Mm -hmm. And I immediately got the album. And uh, I don't do this that often, but I, I think I listened to it nonstop for about three months. I could not stop listening to it. Um, I just fell in love with it. Uh, it it's fantastic. Um and it and it hits a lot of my sweet spots. There is power pop on it. That's not all there is on it. Um, in fact, I've got a, fr a friend uh, up in Wisconsin who I, I texted when we were doing this because I wanted to ask him. We had a conversation years ago where I, he told me he didn't think Elvis Costello was power pop, and so I wanted him to clarify that. And he Drink. said, he said, well, his you know his discography is not. He, there's things that he does that are power pop, but overall, you can't lump him in with the lineage i think he's wrong i think you can because well, hold on just a minute Tony, yeah. because this is one of my first questions for you tonight mm -hmm. and i think it's a really good question and i hate for you to answer it before i ask it and get okay. credit for asking it okay. um if i have a triangle uh-huh and i have punk uh -huh. in one corner uh -huh. power pop in one corner uh -huh. and new way in the other corner uh -huh. and you throw the elvis costello dart it's a bull's, bullseye right in the center. You think it's right in the middle of all three of those? Yeah. Well, especially this album. What What is New Wave about this album? Other than uh, I think some of the guys have skinny ties. <laughs> well, I, th I think it's uh, I think it's a use of some um, odd time signatures that were kind of signature sounds for New Wave. I think it's also the leaning back on that '60s organ sound. Yep. I think also lends itself to New Wave. That box um, continental. Yeah, that mm -hmm. I think that has a lot to do with it, and I think, um, I think the attitude because it. This is what I, this is kind of a, a very dumb man's definition of new wave, but new wave always seemed to me to be punk with with melody and intelligence. All right, and then um, punk was uh, famous for the do-it-yourself nature of it. Like I know three chords, I can start a band. Right. 
this isn't that kind of. No, this, is, this no. reminds me of the police where they say, "Oh yeah, we're punk, we're punk." Well, even though we can play very complex <laughs> music, I, th- I think I think this is a little bit more honestly punk because I think it's it, first of all, uh, Elvis Costello is significantly younger than any of the guys in the police were when they decided to go that route. I think he's twenty three when this album was, was recorded. Wow. He also. Um, Punk, while it's what I said, you know, it's uh, or what you said, it's it's about um, what did you say? How are you? Do it yourself. Yeah, do it yourself. DIYs <laughs> thing. It's also about attitude, and and the and the attitude Elvis Costello has in delivering these songs is definitely drenched in that kind of. Punk I agree attitude. with that part. Yeah, I'm 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 not going to be able to shut up about the drums tonight. Because, <laughs> um, they are fantastic. This is. In a very different way, this reminds me of the Who, where the drums can be a lead instrument. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. drums distract me on nearly every track on this, and it and it's very not it's very not punk um, because that this drummer is well, he's crazy talented. Yeah, he's he also I think isn't he the most seasoned musician in the band? I think that I, I can't know. tell you. I, I would be embarrassed I, I'm, to be I'm the most season. I'm with you on that. I think this this band this band and and we'll get to it later. But this band is significantly talented. Um, I, I'm that way about the keyboards on this album. The keyboards just I, I can't listen to the songs and they don't they just scream at me, but in a really good way. They're this guy. I think I think the keyboardist on this album is the unsung hero of this album. To be honest with you, um, I'm going to agree with you. And he became very sought after. Pretty soon so after this album, was sung. I mean, he he was yes, he was he went he wasn't unsung for long. He, he wasn't was unsung for long. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, Tony, I got I got a couple of more things to say. Sure. Um, that's a lie. I got a lot of things to say. I just push some button on my uh, laptop that makes all the code pop up instead of the words. <laughs> I get Jonathan J M Rowe, who has the most boring job in the world, to come over here and look at this and tell me what it says. Um, there's two two more things I want to start out with when I ask Tony questions about this record. The the producer of this album is someone I have a great deal of respect yeah, for. It, I don't know how much of these first albums are Nick Lowe and how much are Elvis Costello. I think I think it's a partnership. I mean, he produced the first five Elvis Costello albums. And they're he was fantastic. They are. They are. And he was the he was the house producer for Stiff Records, which is what the first. Uh, with My Aim Is True, Elvis Costello's debut came out on Stiff. Allison, I know this world is killing you. Oh, Allison, my aim is true. Um. Look, I, it's hard to say. There's certain people in uh, in music that it's difficult for me to say their name without putting the great in front of them. And yeah. Nick Lowe is one of them. Nick Lowe's definitely one of them. I don't think Nick Lowe has too many big giant hits that make him well known. Uh, uh, cruel, I guess. Yeah, cruel to be kind might be as big yeah. as.
I think I think it's hard to talk about the pub rock scene, and, and we need yeah. to talk about that without talking about Nick Lowe because his tentacles run throughout that and yeah. very deeply throughout that. Yeah, um, he was in a in one of the the first bands, pub bands, yeah, kinda... uh, called Binsley Schwartz. He was the bassist and singer. In fact, um, uh, what's so funny about Peace, Love, and Understanding was a B side to a Binsley Schwartz song. It's great. It's mm-hmm. significant. It's funny when you listen to it because as soon as you hear the drums, you're going to go, "Damn, this is significantly more Who-like than the version Elvis Costello did." <laughs> um, right now, a picture of man tying himself to a tree uh, to avoid uh, running his ship aground with the sirens. Not a tree on mast. That's what I'm doing. Not, trying not to talk about how fantastic that song is. Yeah. On uh, armed forces. Yeah. One more thing before we go, and that's Elvis Costello's relationship with the critics, which um, I remember from when he first came out, critics were going nuts about Elvis Costello as a songwriter particularly, but uh, I'm just looking here, All Music Guide, five stars, Blender, five stars, Chicago Tribune, four stars out of four. a Entertainment Weekly. Why I don't know. Why does anyone care what they think? Isn't that one of the things <laughs> about the Kardashians or something? Yeah. But anyway, a anyway, I'm looking at. Uh, it looks like ten Rolling Stones five uh, album guide. Rolling Stones album guide five. Every everybody gives this album its highest rating. I, I love this album, but I don't know if I love it that much more than I love My Aim Is True. Those first two Elvis Costello albums are fantastic. They're different. Yeah. They're different. But it, Elvis Costello has three albums on Rolling Stone's top 500 of all time. Uh, you brought up Stiff Records. Uh, we've been there before. We have. On uh, a couple of occasions. I, I know we were there when we were talking about... Well, it's a, um, it's a go-to for a little Stevens Underground Garage, for sure. That, well, that's I didn't think about that, but that's very true. Uh, everybody likes Stiff Records. Um, Any Trouble was on Stiff Records. Yeah, we mm-hmm. talked about that and uh, recommended. Uh, uh, probably all of y'all have gone out and bought that one. So you should. If you, if you have not bought that album, <laughs> if you can find it, you need to buy it. It and is. Any Trouble, We're yeah. All the Good Girls. Yeah. Fantastic album. And then, uh, and then of course, uh, they you know Elvis Costello, um, the, Nick Lowe's first, the very first thing ever released was a Nick Lowe's single. They are responsible for releasing what is considered the first uh, punk sing- UK punk single, which was a single by The Damned. I don't remember what it is, but it was a single by The Damned. Uh, there was this scene, and I know, Doug, how much you love labels, right? This uh, label of pub rock. And pub rock, it's interesting because where have we heard this before? It was a British back-to-the-basics musical movement that began in the 70s. 
So it was an alternative progressive rock and glam rock. Where we heard this before. <laughs> it's, it's the New York punk scene, which I think has a lot in common yeah. with the music that's being put out by these bands. It's a little harder edge, not quite. I mean, the guys, the, the pub rock guys were excellent musicians in a way that a lot of people in the New York punk scene weren't. No. Outside of maybe television. Um, yeah. You know, um, but... Uh, yeah, and so this 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 scene, which was very short lived, seventy four to seventy six, you know, had Binsley Swartz, which we mentioned before, which was um, uh, Nick Lowe's band. Was uh, this all over England, or it was prim- London? It was primarily the Mercy London, Bean. yeah, London area, maybe somewhat in the uh, in the Mersey uh, River area. But the, the kind of the two big bands were Binsley Schwartz and this band called Doctor Feelgood. Which is considered the band. Doctor Feelgood's considered the band of the genre, which is funny. Um, it's an awful name. <laughs> that, for sounds band. So, that sounds so. Sounds so Motley Crue. And it was a Motley Crue album. <laughs> uh, but if you listen to, if you ever, you can pull up um, videos of Doctor Feelgood performing, and the, it is a, it's a blast to watch because it is yeah. just. Re- they're fantastic musicians. Um, but you know, the people that came out of that scene were Nick Lowe, um, all the guys in Rockpile. Uh, Joe Strummer actually came out of the pub rock scene before he decided to do what he did. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was very, very, very influential. Tony? Yeah. I'm yeah. more into modern, popular music, like pop smoke. Um, <laughs> you said Joe Strummer. Could you fill us in on who that is? Joe Strummer was one of the uh, main songwriters and lead singers of a band called The Clash. Yes. Thank you. We've talked about them previously. You can go back and listen to our two-parter. Uh, One of our most unpopular podcasts. <laughs> I think because of two-parters, but yeah. whatever. We learned um, about two-parters. Later. We're, we're going to reissue it as a as, as a, a single, single as a single, as a single podcast. Version. We heard your voice, but um, <laughs> but a, another offshoot of this kind of pub rock scene is it was waning. Uh, there were three musicians, and this isn't to put them out above anyone else, but they were getting all a lot of the attention that came out of that. Were Graham Parker, Joe Jackson. And, and Elvis Costello, and they were they were labeled the this angry or angry young men is what they called them. It's funny considering there's a song on Elvis Costello's debut album called "I'm Not Angry," uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, and I think the reason that I, I I think that was pure marketing because punk UK punk was big at that time, and you're not gonna get. So you're trying to p- appeal to the kiddies, right? Mm-hmm. These guys are sophisticated musicians. They're, they're song craftsmen, lyrically. Um, you got to sell them somehow. And so you give they have a little bit of an edge, so just call them angry young men. And that's not to say they weren't in the sense of, they're, especially with Elvis Costello and the attractions, that music is pure energy. Uh, it's yeah. aggressive. And the lyrics <laughs> are, for lack of a term, angry in a lot of ways. Listening to this album and then going back and listening to some other Elvis Costello stuff, 
and even listening to Rockpile, there the thing that I've noticed about it is it when you when you listen to the the records, they're not overproduced. It's usually there's there's not a whole lot of layers. There's not a whole lot of overdubs. It is very personal, and it, it's 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 almost like they are playing for you right there in your living room. Um, and that is kind of that that pub scene. Uh, is it like they're responding to something, Tony? <laughs> what might they be responding to? Disco. Yes, disco. Is there something dis- else they could be responding to? I don't think disco was big in the UK. Um, it's prog rock. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I drink. Um, Progressive I think- rock, and I think to a certain extent, the what had happened to glam because glam became yeah this big uh, uh, almost what disco ended up being. Um, it's these airplanes that get so elaborate and so big and so overstuffed with low luggage that they can no longer get off of the yeah tarmac. yeah yeah. And well, there's a response to that. A yeah. Mean, well, mean. and when the other thing they did is they looked toward they looked across the pond. So rock Ladies piles. And that means uh, the United States. The rock piles <laughs> a, fi- a prime example of that. Yeah. Where it's a mixture of rockabilly country rhythm and blues rock and roll and all these guys were all using that down. it was just this yeah. stew of bass. american music that he yeah. was listening to a lot of east coast stuff and the, the, his two biggest influences, well, three biggest influences at the time, uh, were Van Morrison, Bruce Springsteen, and Randy Newman. <laughs> you know, and that's one of the things I have, actually, strangely enough, in my notes, one of the things that I say, like, this is sounds almost like a punk, an angry Randy Newman. Randy Newman. If, if Randy Newman played guitar and, you know, didn't arrange, didn't come from such royalty uh, musically. Yeah. Uh- yeah. The story about Elvis Costello's father. It's a fascinating could be it is, a story. Yeah, in and of itself. Elvis Costello. Yeah. Me. I mean, the guy was a singer. Uh, in, uh, so we're talking about Ross McManus, who was the um, he was the lead. Well, he was a lead, the pop vocalist and a jazz trumpeter for a, a Glenn Miller type band called the Joe Loss Band. <laughs> yeah. Joe Loss Orchestra. Yeah. Right, Doug? That's right, and uh, Elvis Costello grew up going to the uh, theater where he would play and uh, was deeply influenced by the fact that he spent his afternoons there and then also influenced by the fact that his dad would be given these singles. Yeah, these acetates. He had to learn, uh, (laughs) and uh, when he was done with them, he would pass them down to his son. So uh, Elvis Costello had enormous saturation with great music like probably nobody else <laughs> the weird thing about that was his dad was singing so the joe loss orchestra would play i think on friday afternoons on the bbc and what they would do is they do these big band versions of pop hits so yeah he'd get they do please please me but it'd be like this glint there is this amazing amazing version of them doing if i had a hammer on youtube <laughs> His dad is dressed in this white suit. He's got the, the those big horn rim glasses that Elvis Costello became come famous for later. And he's dancing around like a maniac. And you can see this and see how this influenced his son. 
Um, in fact, Elvis Costello early on performed before he before he actually got the name, which was Elvis Costello. He performed as DB Costello as a nod to his dad because his dad performed with that with that uh, surname. Um, and uh, here's something funny: his dad had a hit in nineteen in Australia in 1970 with his version of the Long and Winding Road. <laughs> yeah, was that before the Beatles got? No, it was afterwards. But they didn't release it as a single. So he they they did. There were all these copycat things. So someone got him to sing, and his name was Day Costello. Was what he went by. <laughs> but Costello was his great grandmother's maiden name. So that it, oh, okay, it so he comes by a little bit honestly. Yeah, all right, yeah. So. Um, that that's that's sort of his background. Um, he did he did before he got into pub rock. He did start a, a duo with a guy named Alan Mays. Uh, it was a, a folk duo called Rusty. And uh, Doug, do you want to tell us uh, why Alan Mays is kind of interesting, to, at least to us? Uh, I believe that gentleman lives in Austin, Texas. He does, which is. Uh, a lot of people from California don't know this, but Austin is part of Texas, and uh, <laughs> he he lives here. He does, and he here. moved here a long time ago. Long, long time ago. And, he performs uh, live, and uh, you know he does does shows. It's kind of cool when Elvis Costello was touring for his book. He he played at Book People and had Alan May show up, and they reunited the Rusty Band and played a couple couple of three songs uh, to the audience there, which I think is pretty cool. Tony, before we go to JM on the. Uh, second album and it's it's remarkable cast of characters who played on my aim is true so my aim is true the backing band because the attractions hadn't been formed yet was a band called clover and clover was this bay area country rock band uh san francisco bay area that was sort of popular from 67 to 78 a lot of people compare them to credence clearwater revival i don't i don't get that but anyway um they ended up moving to the uk and got because they weren't making it that well at some point in the states they moved to the uk and they started getting gaining a reputation opening for thin lizzie and graham parker anyway long story short um four of the six guys in this band uh were were the backup band for for ellis costello and why that's interesting is the two guys that weren't on the band were the lead singers one they had dual lead singers one was named alex call and the other one was this guy by the name of Huey Lewis, who played harmonica as well. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So Clover, parts of Clover, ended up becoming Huey Lewis in the news later on. I won't get any older now the angels want to wear my red shoes. Oh, I was watching while you're dancing away. I look at Fractured in the echo and... So this is why it's important to talk about that album in comparison to this one. You listen to the Mime is True... And it the musicianship on it is is remarkable, but yep. it's so much more laid back. It's definitely got that Southern mm-hmm. California kind I mean, of yeah, you thing can't, going on. Yeah, that the, Ali, just listen to Allison. I suspect uh, some doobies were consumed. Probably, <laughs> probably. Was, yeah, you think on the uh, this year's model, maybe if they switched to cocaine, uh, the band was on cocaine instead of the doobies. Mm-hmm. I, I think they were big time drinkers. Is, is well, yeah, was some energy was. on uh, a yeah. lot of energy. Um, but yeah, I feel it's that energetic after I drink. <laughs> well, yeah, but well, it's it, tequila and someone says something about America. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is interesting. The distinction between the two. She's watching the detectives. Ooh, he's so cute. She's watching the detectives. When they shoot, shoot. 
So uh, Elvis Costello talks about in his fantastic biography, which we'll talk about throughout this episode, uh, dis- uh, Unfaithful Music and Disappearing Ink, which is the name of it. Um, he talks about this time in 2005 when the, most of the guys in Clover got together to play a benefit and perform All of My Aim is True. And, uh, and they're playing, they're going through the song Sneaky Feelings, and Elvis Costello stops, and he's like, the tempo is off on this. Is that the real tempo? And uh, they're like, yeah. The drummer's like, yeah, I said it to my metronome. That's the tempo. <laughs> but the, the attractions had been playing. They, I mean, as soon as that album came out, My Aim is True, the attractions were formed, and they took those songs over. And uh, as he puts it, they took possession of those songs and ramped them up within an inch of their lives. And you can tell the difference between the two bands when you listen to the two albums. I mean, it's like like you said, it's right. between pot and cocaine. I don't think cocaine was involved. But it ladies and gentlemen, um, I want to make it perfectly clear to the ladies and gentlemen of this audience and most of all their children that we do not endorse either one of those hippie substances. <laughs> I don't think cocaine's a hippie substance. And you're going to tell us now about the band that played on this album, this year's model, which is high energy, what a band. high talent. And they became his go-to band for a very long stretch of albums. And he actually named them. He actually named them. They're the attractions. The, the drummer, uh, Pete Thomas. Um, Pete Thomas. From Sheffield. From Sheffield, England, yeah. I have listeners in Sheffield, I know for a factor <laughs> outside of Sheffield. Uh, he's a fantastic drummer. I mean, oh, he yeah. he is just, and he became one of the most sought-after drummers uh, in the world. And uh, I, I think he spent some time with Squeeze. He played with Suzanne Vega. Uh, he played with, I'm just looking at a list here of folks, uh, Los Lobos. He was a uh, yeah. I forgot. He was a drummer for Los Lobos when other Louis Perez and decided. That's the guy in the in the attractions that Elvis Costello's played with the longest. Yeah, right? even yeah. after the even after the attractions were, broke up. Yeah. yeah, he he was the drummer with uh, short lived. He played with John Paul Jones. Ah. I did not realize that until doing some research here. Neil Say Finn. That. He played on that Neil <laughs> Finn album. That we, uh, yeah, stop whistling this. He played on that. He became a very in demand. Uh, Drummer, and then the other guy we need to talk about is uh, Bruce Thomas. Bruce Thomas was a uh, also. I mean, if you listen to this album or any album that he plays on, he is a fantastic bass player. He's an amazing bass. Just does some great. Uh, he he kind of reminds me of Paul McCartney, but a little bit more in the pocket, I would say, than Paul McCartney. That's one of my biggest complaints about Paul McCartney. Now, now, <laughs> them fighting words, and he just yeah. making remarks about Paul. So he also played with uh, Suzanne Vega and um, John Wesley Harding. I think the attractions were the whole attractions were backing John Wesley Harding. First couple who, albums, yeah, I think. yeah. Very honest man. And he's he's the oldest guy. He's also uh, has kind of a second career as a uh, a biographer. He's oh, really? written yeah. So he's written he wrote a biography on Bruce Lee. Not just biography, but he's also written books on metaphysics and philosophy. And he, but he, it's more like a history of philosophy and history of metaphysics kind of stuff. So he's, he's very schooled. Um, and just, you know, I, he kind of keeps a low profile, but a very interesting guy. But then I think, you know, we're the, the hero of this band. Absolutely. Is probably Steve Naive. Is that how you pronounce it? It's, it's pronounced uh, like Naive. Yeah, yeah. Steve Naive. Uh, he is a phenomenal 
musician, just a phenomenal keyboard player. He can play just, um, just about any kind of keyboard instrument very well. Um, he let went me, on. Let me interrupt. I have a question. <laughs> Tony, uh-huh. if in a rock and roll band, uh-huh. there is a lot of temporary relationships established with young ladies uh-huh. after each show. It's very disgraceful, and we frown upon it. Um, My aunt was one of those people, by the way. <laughs> okay. Um, that's that's yeah, just a fact. We don't endorse it. Um, the... Uh, who is the least likely to end up in one of those part-time relationships? <laughs> is it the bass player or the keyboard player? Oh, that's a toss-up. In this band, it's probably the keyboard player since he got his nickname, Naive, yeah. from Ian Drury, they were touring with, because he asked Ian Drury what a group he was. <laughs> so, that sounds prob- like that was planned. Yeah. <laughs> so what... Steve Naive plays is something called a Vox Continental Organ. And its original purpose was to be a replacement for Hammond organ, a Hammond organ. It, the Hammond organ, for those who don't know, is a big honking thing. And <laughs> you have this to... This is not. Yeah, this is not a big honking thing. Uh, Farfusia organ, I mean, a uh, Hammond organ has uh, close to... 120 it has two layers of uh, keyboards. There's one stacked on top of each other. Um, and it's has something called stops on it. And those stops are controlled um, by air being pushed through them, just like in a an church. actual church organ. Yeah. So uh, it's basically a Hammond organ was supposed to be kind of a replacement for a pipe organ. Uh-huh. And the Vox Continental is supposed to be a replacement. That's how it's got its uh how it got its popularity is a replacement for the Hammond organ. The thing that it does, it has all the stops like or, or the poles that the Hammond organ has. So but it controls the uh the whirling effect, the chorus effect uh through transistors rather than air coming through. So you don't have to have that big you don't goofy, have to have the big goofy that, Leslie what, speaker. Yeah, you don't Leslie have to. Speaker. Have, and, and you know uh, the transistor transistor <laughs> was invented by uh, Texas Instruments right here in uh, Texas. So yeah. the, um, one more reason. That we're we're, we're well, the other on. the other thing that I read about it, which is kind of interesting, was the reason why rock bands started using the Vox Continental was because it's portable. It's very portable yeah. and, and it's sturdy. It's yeah. built on it. The stand is built into the organ itself. So you could basically just throw it down a flight of stairs and it would still work. It's only got 48 keys. And another thing that's distinguishing about it is the keys are reversed. So uh, all of the whole, the, uh, the, act, the named notes are black and all the sharps and flats oh, are white well they've supposedly that's how the that's when harpsichords were invented that was the way that harpsichords were done so they were trying to kind of harken back to or something similar (laughs) well and and the thing about it's funny because we talked about this a little bit when we talked about big star is this idea of listening something with fresh ears so to me listening to this stuff this organ on this album it sounds so retro but it's yeah. really only about ten years outside of when that Vox was yeah. at its height. Right? The height, yeah. So it was. They tried to market it to kind of soul bands and uh, traveling, like tent shows and yeah. all that sort of stuff. But um, 
it didn't really catch on, so they stopped manufacturing manufacturing them in 1971. Well, they became like the new wave movement just started embracing these guys because they were they were able to pick them up cheap, uh, and they were like you said they were they're very sturdy. They could kind of do the substitution for a Hammond organ. By the way, here's something I read in my research: the organ solo in Refugee by Tom uh, and Tom Petty. Damn torpedoes! That's a Vox Continental, actually played through a Leslie speaker. Um, there are songs on this album that would not be the same if he was not on them. <laughs> Tony, yes, Doug. Do you think we're ready to go to the album? Uh, you mean this album that reached number 30 on the U.S. Top 200? <laughs> That's right, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Doug. Well, I think the first song is No Action. No action. Now, I'm not trying to... Um, impose my album order on anyone else now that we have the button that shuffles everything <laughs> but that's stupid to use that button anyway the first song is no action and uh, well it's this is a, go ahead this is a high energy song yeah it's stupid to use that button it's stupid not to listen to this album with no action. in its entirety having well not with just not having with, with not starting with no action yeah well if you're um if you're uh, one of these new people that listen to harry styles <laughs> you you probably don't know that albums have an order I, I, there's a I damn am, good reason i am for it. sorry we need to describe the visual of you <laughs> picking up a book and looking for a name to say because you don't know it off the top of your head that's brilliant that's brilliant. Uh, brilliant. That's not true, Lacey. I'm really hip with all this. Stuff. Um, so yeah, what well, I mean, we say this a lot, but in this song, this album in particular, what an opener! It is a great opener, and the I this would be probably my all time favorite Elvis Costello song, except for one thing. What's that? It's short. Oh, it's, man, I it's think under it could, two okay, minutes. Okay, yeah. you're talking to a power pop guy here. I love the fact that the longest song in this album is three minutes. And <laughs> Me too. It. I love it, but and I, I agree. It, it could be longer. It could be longer. But um, this song is so great. It's oh, pure it energy, drenched in swirling organ. Yeah, and the first ten seconds of it are just uh, Elvis's vocals. Yeah, you know, and, and 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 it's and 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 the the song, the lyrics are great because here's a guy in the the guy in this song is trying to put on a brave face. His right. girls left him for another guy. He's trying to be all cool and everything, but it's killing him inside. I know. Yeah. And that I mean, how great is that line? I don't want to see you because I don't miss you that much. That is that's an amazing, amazing line. Yeah. It yeah. is. It reminds me of Towns Van Zant when he keeps repeat, repeating I don't think about it anymore. Yeah. I don't over, think about over, it. Yeah. It's it's great. And uh I think I think Elvis Costello is on to something. Uh, when he makes a song shorter than you want it, because that's it's going to make you listen. Well, to I mean, it. I think that's one of the things uh, that Elvis Costello does, and it's kind of a pub rock. Well, how many songs thing. were on that first album? Like well, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, the, the problem with Elvis Costello is when he signed to Columbia, 
Columbia did what they did to the Beatles, and they moved stuff around. So they yeah. pulled songs out there. So when they were re-released on CD, they dumped all those songs on one CD. So the album we're talking about tonight, uh, this year's model, we're going to be talking about sort of the deluxe version that has... It was, there's a combination, essentially, of the UK version and the US version. So when it's I about, Inc. is true came out, how many songs were on there? It was, it was still um, pretty full. Yeah, I, not, but yeah, the songs are short. I want to say... It, Maybe fourteen songs. I was gonna say fifteen, but yeah, yeah, it's a lot of songs. It's a lot of songs, but these first albums, he was always in a hurry to get to the the main part of the song, like the the chorus, or sometimes even the verses. Like he would do the even the like he'd come up with the badass bridge, and he wanted to get to that bridge as as fast as he could. Uh, well, but and that's kind of a pub rock. Well, there's also sort of something deal. about all the damn. Tunes. He, he reminds me of McCartney, where he's got all these tunes stored up, and he, yeah. he can go. Here's one. I, I always use this example with uh, um, "Got to Get You Into My Life." McCartney has this great tune, and then at the end, he has another tune, and he spends 20 seconds on it, and he goes, "Oh, I, there's plenty more where that came from." Yeah. And Elvis Costello has that same thing with yeah, he, just he's, an abundance of really yeah. catchy. Great he's tunes. overflowing, yeah. and, he, and he's like, "Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to pay a lot." Anybody attention. else would be going. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, he he is uh, he's pretty amazing in his ability to aid not not just quantity but quality. Yeah, um, yeah, and well, it's not even the just even the on these first albums the arrangement. Yeah. I mean, they're they're you, well. Again, going to Doug's point of view. It's a partnership. How much of this is Nick Elvis Costello and how much of this is Nick Lowe? So, yeah, I, I the arrangements, I think, they come to the table as an Elvis Costello arrangement, but I think Nick Lowe is the one. Although he did say, I heard an interview with him where he said the producer's job is to stay out of the way and just tell jokes yeah. and keep things moving, but I, I think he's being a I little... I think he's being a little... Uh, a, a little humble. Yeah. Yeah, and if, if, if you ever listen to his music, it, you're going, what? What? I hear you. <laughs> it's like saying, no one's in here but us chickens. <laughs> so we got a real powerhouse opener, and uh, then we have one of the songs that helps inform the title, This Year's Girl. love the fact that it's an answer song to a Rolling Stones song because it makes me like it even more. <laughs> um, it's an answer song to Stupid Girl by the Rolling Stones. Look at that stupid girl. I'm not talking about the way she combs her hair. Look at that stupid girl. The way she... Yeah, I and, read that. Uh, which, which, you know, Elvis Costello got in a lot of trouble for this song as being misogynistic, but I don't know how you can listen to the lyrics and take that away from it. The lyrics, I, I, I don't I read, get that at I read all. that chapter in his book about being a misogynist, and I, I don't see so, it in these lyrics. I, I just want to, let me read, let me read Stupid Girl by the Stones. Maybe hold, hold it's on. because guys like us have such compassion for women that maybe. we don't understand. But, but listen to this. This is the Stones song. I'm not talking about the kind of clothes she wears. Look at that stupid girl. I'm not talking about the way she combs her hair. Look at that stupid girl. The way she powders her nose, her vanity shows it. 
or her vanity shows it shows she's the worst thing in the world will look at that stupid girl that's the stone song i find that highly here's, offensive. here's the elvis costello song see her picture in a thousand places because she's this year's girl you think you own uh you all own little pieces of this year's girl forget your fancy manners Mm-hmm. Forget your English grammar, because you don't really give a damn about this year's girl. That sounds to me very sympathetic to the it's, girl he's singing It sounds about. like he's attacking the uh, misogynist. He's attacking the Rolling Stones. I thought that he was yeah, attacking him. Yeah, and, and I guess I'm projecting something because I saw the album cover. It's like, it sounds like he's talking about a model. Yeah. No, and, I, that's exactly. I don't. Again, I don't know how you listen to these lyrics and come to any other conclusion. But uh, people want to complain. Even back when this album came out, wanted to complain about stuff. I think it's really cool. I, I read this, and now I can't listen to the song without hearing it. The drumming is ticket to ride. Actually, you know what I thought it was? What? Uh, Gloria by U2, but I think Gloria came out. Much later. Much later. Yeah, listen to so, it again, because yeah. Elvis Costello even says, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty close." He, yeah. The thing I like about him is he's willing to admit, "Like I ripped this off. I, I this is a rip off." Well, yeah. obviously the Beatles weren't too pissed off because Paul McCartney worked with them on a, and wrote well, some no. amazing yeah. music with him. Yeah. One of one of the things, Tony, I know you're a huge Rolling Stones fan. <laughs> um, Elvis Costello says that this album is highly. Uh, Based on aftermath, yeah, by the Stones. No, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I think he's lying. You think he's lying about that? Why yeah. would he lie about that? He's because it's tuneful and pleasant to listen to. <laughs> it doesn't make me want to go bang my head against the wall. Okay. Um, again, he he wears his influences firmly on his sleeve, and he's willing to admit that, and that's fine. I mean, he's he's, but he's not. It's not an imitation. He's doing something a little different with it. Um, I think he's. And I think this is going to not serve him well as he gets older. But he has an ability to absorb things and bring them into a song and make them different. And there's some examples of that on this album where he can actually switch. Like there'll be a ska beat and then it will turn into something totally different. There's a beautiful piano part in it. You know where he gets that from? Where his dad, his dad, his dad, his dad, his, he talks about his dad, his dad was and he, a chameleon. he exactly, and he and his dad, you know, he said in an interview I read or I saw one time where he says, you know, I could probably count the number, the amount of time we spent, legitimately spent together by the hours. Yeah, he said, but my dad influenced me in such a way, and his dad, exactly as Doug said, he was a chameleon. That's why he was so good at this job of doing these pop hits on Friday night because he would listen to something, he was a mimic, he could mimic, yeah, it, you know. Yeah. And I think Elvis Costello again just comes by that naturally. Um, yeah. And this biography you and I are working on. Um, yeah, it's so it, great. He cannot get very far from his father. <laughs> no. And yeah. it's, it's obviously a profound influence on him. And when I just saw, saw that video <laughs> of his dad, it is. Yeah, he freaky. looks like him. Yeah. It's weird. Freaky I I think um I think that that's something he came to late in life. How much his dad meant to him, which is kind of—I mean, yeah. this whole book that again that Doug and I are uh, kind of took going to talk about over and over again because it's so great—is Elvis Costello kind of coming to terms with his legacy, and and it's yeah. it, it's fantastic. The one thing I want to say about th- this song is I, the one thing I wish it did because you can kind of hear it is it would I, I think it would it would be 
just that much cooler if no action faded directly into this year's girl because they they it fades out on this no action fades out exactly the drum beat, yeah and then it sounds like it should and the then you break. got the drum beat yeah. on the yeah I, I agree with like you like it would be cool if they just kind of yeah. faded into each other. i don't know if that's pub rock though i don't, I don't yeah, know if that's not, not then that's rock. not really a, a nick low thing no, to, to you're do right but it would okay. be cool if they did it so the next song the beat the beat I have no idea what this song is about. Uh, there's some speculation online that it's about having a fairly good time with yourself. Oh. I have no idea what he's... I, meditation? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, well, aside from the subject I, matter... I don't, I don't think that's what it's about. I, 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 I have no... Into it. I think it's another song about kind of a broken relationship, but... Um, you know, because Elvis Costello admits that at this time in his life, he was kind of playing a character. Um, people expected him to be this brooding, angry, you know, yeah. uh, broken guy. Um, and I think he fed into that with some of the songs in this. Uh, again, I, you know, I think that's I think that's what this song's about. It's a great song. I I really like this song. Um, it's not one of my favorites on the album, but the thing I do like about it is. I do think it kind of shows how good the attractions are as yeah. a band. It did, you know, that the, even though it sounds like the keyboard parts are kind of easy, but they are not easy. Right. Um, right. And the great bass playing on it. Love the drums. It's almost, it's, it's, it's the first one that's kind of a ska. Yeah. Beat and that, you know, that was kind of going through, I think, uh, I think as punk started to cool slightly yeah. after the, the, Burnout and fade away of the Sex Pistols in the yeah. UK. Ska started becoming more of an of a influence in bands like the Clash and it oh yeah, like, I, I see like I could see the English beat covering this yeah. song. Pretty... I mean, it's obvious that Elvis Costello was listening to that too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Next, we have a big one. This is Pump It Up. This uh -oh. is my least favorite song on the album, and I'm not sure if it's because I don't think it's interesting or it's because I've heard it too much. But I bet it's the latter. You know, uh, I think it's the latter. I think what's interesting about it is what I just recently learned about it in the last week, which is that it's basically Elvis Costello ripping off Subterranean Homesick Blues. In a basement, mixing up the medicine. I'm on a pavement, thinking about the government. The man in a trench coat, badge out, laid off. Says he's got a bad cough, wants to get it paid off. Look out, kid, it's something you did. God knows when, but you're doing it again. You better duck down the alleyway. But evidently, Bob Dylan felt that way because he ribbed him about it later on in life. So, um, <laughs> this is one of my favorite Ellis Costello songs. I, wow. I, there's not a whole lot of songs like this. Well, and it was, it was this? big enough to where they released it as a single in the UK. It was the second single after Don't Go Back to Chelsea off of this album. Yeah. And it, uh, it didn't chart in the US, but it got to number 24 in the UK. The funny thing about it is, um, the, uh, it was big in New York, evidently, to the point where even when Elvis Costello was coming back and, and touring under his other 
like Burt Bacharach or whatever, people in the crowd in New York would be screaming for him to do pump. <laughs> well, you know, and I'm also a bass player, so the bass line ah, in this yeah. thing is amazing. And it's I have played it before, and it's it's fun, fun, fun to play. And the keyboards are great in it. Oh too. yeah, yeah, keyboards are great. Got that? That's you want to hear a, a standard Fox Continental sound? Yeah. That is you can't that get, kind of whirly. You know, the only thing that bothers me about it is I wish that they had um, pumped up the organ <laughs> a little bit more in at the very part at the very start of the song it's always bothered me that that, that it seems like the organ's a little bit buried, buried in, the in, in the mix at the very first and Nick they bring Lowe, it up if you're yeah. listening this is something yeah, our humble Nick. producer thinks you can fix yeah so let's, let's get together nick I and bet, I bet fair notes have that <laughs> advice <laughs> well I'm, I'm sorry to find myself out on a uh, lonesome limb on this song but well, this may be the most famous song on the album. Well, it it's is, one of his most famous songs, I think. Each um, album. Now, I don't. I'm not gonna say I, I skipped this song. Yeah. But I always pick one song that, if I had to skip it, that would be it. That would be it. That's surprising to me. Album, like on the Springsteen album, it would have been. Uh, I guess it was Kitty's back. It would have been if I had to skip something. Right, and I wouldn't want to. But I, I feel about this album very much the way I do about the Big Star album. In that a song comes on, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, this, this is, my is my favorite song. <laughs> exactly. And then the next song comes on, yeah. I'm like, oh, I forgot about this. I mean, one. I was this running with it song. all this week, and I was just going, okay, well, what, what song am I not going to like next? And then, about jam, about, about jam, yeah. always about jam. Yeah. I'm not so humble, am I? <laughs> you know that whole humble deal is kind of a joke. <laughs> Little triggers. Little triggers, the jewel of your tongue. Little triggers, I don't want to be hung up, strung up when you don't call up. Little triggers on your tongue. Oh, uh, it's the first time we get to slow down a little bit. It's the only time I think we slow down. Well, I guess don't back go back to Chelsea, but this song. Oh my God! He's a, he's, the, a, he's a good songwriter. This, this song, this song is um, this is uh, Steve. It naive. is. I was just about to say that, Jam. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is a showcase for naive. Um, that it, it there is, are not a lot of white guys that can play piano oh parts God. like that. And in the emotion he brings, can you imagine this? I thought about this a lot this week. If this album had been on the or this song had been on the first album, and you had those Clover guys playing it, it would not. Nope. It would not have the nope. emotional. And here's here, it's not God. just him. Although Steve Naive is great on it, but Elvis Costello's vocal performance yeah. on this oh, song yeah. is incredible. Yeah. With the one exception of that goofy echo thing, <laughs> I don't know why they do I'm that. With you. I don't know, I don't why, know they, why they do that. Yeah, it's unnecessary. It's totally unnecessary. unnecessary. But well, his, let's 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 remember at this period of time, if you can put out an album that has only one stupid thing like that, Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good compared but, to all the stupid things available to a producer at this time. I, yeah. I buy this hook, line, and sinker that this is a guy absolutely ripped up by this relationship he has with this girl yeah. um, and, and how, um, how just she's not only breaking his heart, but she's unbelievably cruel to him as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
the, there's a couple lines where he does this thing at the end where his voice kind of cracks and goes up that is incredible. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Else, he doesn't do he that doesn't, anywhere else. Yeah, exactly. It it's it's so like great. it's most vulnerable. Yeah, perfect word. Vulnerable. Yeah. This song is, and you're right about the piano playing on it. it it's is, like I, you have absolutely nowhere it's where it, yeah. and it it's, just comes in. Elvis Costello reaching up to uh, <laughs> dorks who have <laughs> terrible relationships with women and end up losing the gals. All over across the world, is, is he reaching out to those guys? I don't know. Maybe, maybe so. But it's um, it is a kind of a heartbreaker. I think it's one of his best vocal performances uh, ever. Absolutely, I, I agree with that. Yeah. I uh, I remember thinking, finally, he's he's able to bring it down a little bit. Yeah, and and when is I think about um, my aim is, or Allison when yeah. he sings that song. He he's able to produce a softer yeah. sound than he's able to do on these rockers. But even then, there's I think Al, I almost take Allison as kind of him being naive, a little bit tongue in cheek. On this one, I see him as just being a little bit more mature, a little, a little bit. Even though he's like what twenty three when he's singing yeah. this, he was twenty two and did Allison. He was married at the time. Really, he was married very young, but he is aware that that relationship was responsible for songs like this coming from yeah. him. And, and I really do think that this is a guy, I, I don't know how he's faking this when he's singing no. this song. No, it's a, it's a fantastic song. Yeah. And if, if, if you listen to Nothing Else by Elvis Costello on this album. Which we don't. Well, we, we, do we, not, we, don't uh, we do not. Are you suggesting they listen to a single? <laughs> listen to this one and then that, that'll help you discover the rest of the album, I think. Well, so, but uh, okay. The, the last thing I want to say before we we move on is that Elvis Costello has an amazing voice. I think so. We've got to agree that he has. There are songs. I don't, I don't think Doug agrees. I don't think us. Doug agrees, but I the, think the he has. Factor on me and Elvis Costello is always his voice. Not me. I love his voice. Love. I him. love his voice until he tries to do something he can't do. I got gotcha. you. And he, more than anyone else. Tries to do, tries to do stuff he cannot do. Well, and I, I think that these first, like, who can sing "Peace, Love, and Understanding" better than Elvis Costello? Nick Lowe can't even do it as well no. as he can. Can't. No. And I love Nick and Lowe. So <laughs> number six so. on sad one. Belong to me. So here's another. So we get, we just get back, get away from this heartbreak of a song, Little Triggers, which I'm thinking this is my favorite song in the album. And then we get to You Belong to Me. I'm like, wait a minute. Maybe this song. All right. Here is, this would be a great song for me. This yeah. would be, but I still think it's a fantastic song. But I, th- I like the way that he eventually goes with it. This sounds so much like a Rolling Stones song. It sounds oh, like so. this is just this. It does sound like a '60s song. It, it does sound sounds like Jay this right. could be the last time. Well, I've told you once and I've told you twice, but you never 
At least well, I get to agree maybe, with JM on this. May, maybe, maybe I just prefer other people sounding like the Stones. Uh, well, the Rolling Stones never sound that different than the Rolling Stones. Yeah. I mean, there, there are some... Uh, oh, yeah. Jumping Jack Flash and... Um, Compare that to they I can't get no satisfaction. Yeah. Well, and they and uh, just a brief aside, those old grandparents are coming to Austin pretty soon to <laughs> stagger out on the stage in their walkers and shake. I am going there with my kid. Is this ageism? I'm going with my my son. Shake their little bony fists at the sky. Get off my lawn! We're gonna flip it over and we go to side two, side two, and the first song is a. Uh... Not a hit. Um, it should be. Should be. It should absolutely be a hit. Most of the songs in this album should um, be a hit. Yeah. It's you know, just hand in hand. It's a dire straight so, song. That <laughs> so I will. I will say that this song and the next song are like a one-two power pop punch. What's a, What's incredible about this song is, um, I don't know. I must have listened to this song a million times. The other day I'm listening to it again for for the podcast, and I'm like, holy, holy whatever. There's a Del Shannon organ lick in this thing, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's got this Del Shannon sheen all over this song. It really does. Del Shannon played the organ, but he had, and I think that guy played a farfisa. He did play a farfisa. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think but that's this is when it became famous. Because those Del Shannon songs are fantastic. Yeah, they are. Kids, go out and get you a Del uh, Shannon. Del Do Shannon it. album. Is that Tony talking good about America? <laughs> And this is the artiest song, I guess, you or at least so? the beginning of it, where he's got all that, all that sort of uh, unusual beginning, and then his voice kind of starts coming yeah, through the ether. Like, and yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's it's the most produced sounding song. Yeah, I think. well, I think yeah. the whole second side is. Yeah, it it, it departs a little bit. From it does. The front, you're right. First side and becomes more complicated and more produced. And, yeah, uh, and to me, more interesting. I don't think the songwriting is writing is any better, but there is. It is a little bit more. In, I, I agree with you. It, a, a, some depth and some layering on the production. Yeah, I mean, again, not to to harp on uh, the keyboard of Steve. Um, oh yeah, Steve Naive. Yeah, but oh, he, he, he he did some song great this work song on this. Not this song without him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and when you hear uh, Ellis talk about. The attractions. I I have not heard anyone talk about their band the way he does. Yeah. As if it is a a, a partner, a touchstone. Yeah, yeah. I think. I, but I think that's what he did. He went out and was able to get the band he wanted, and uh, and they they were doing this stuff live. That I I know they played the hell out of this song, I, this I album am, live before I they am did so it. So jealous that I, I wish I could go back in time. And be the age I am now, and sit in the audience and appreciate yeah. what I mean. I was eight years old when this album came out. Um, and, I was eleven, and, and it just—I yeah. was three. It kills me because I would love to have been able to hear this stuff new and fresh and yeah. watch that band perform. Uh, I, I I listened to a podcast and um, John Flansburg from They Might Be Giants was on it. And he's talking about how he was at the first show in New York and, and what an impact that had on him. I can just imagine. Yeah. He said he didn't even know who the guy was. Of course, <laughs> you know, here's the thing. You, you don't know if that's a, 
if, if him saying that is the same thing as people locally in Austin saying they were at the Mojo Nixon show when Don Henley got on stage and saying Don Henley must die. Oh, I was there. Yeah, everybody says they were there. I, I know we know someone in the band who said if everybody who says they were there were at that show, <laughs> half of Austin was at that show. Anyway, but um, yeah, I just imagine seeing this band live playing yeah. this stuff, which is sort of incredible. And then we go on to a big tune. Oh. It was released as a single. I don't want to go to Chelsea. She looks like Elsa. I don't want to go to Chelsea. Oh no, it does not move me. Even though I see the move. I don't want to check your boss. I don't want nobody else. I don't want to Okay. Love the song. One of my all-time favorite Elvis Costello songs. Yeah, and it's the I most love like song. It is the most clash. I, I think, think that's, that's why I like it. It's intentionally yeah. clash-like because I think he was um, he was talking about listening to that first Clash album. I well, forget which song. The Clash did a cover. Maybe they released a cover of some reggae guy. I, I wish I knew this, but um, and it kind of blew him away. Um, he said. It just you know, he said it was like realizing when he heard the Clash singing, it was like realizing that um, "Do Right Woman" was in, was uh, an Aretha Franklin song after he heard it on Gilded Palace of Sin. He's like, "What?" You know. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think that had a huge influence on it. Oh, and then but the drums, the way the drums start this song, yep. it's like I I'm normally not a big fan of just not so drums yeah, starting is- a but this this just shows how good it is, and then. That reggae beat that yeah. he's, well, he's got behind it. All the instruments it. are making really interesting noises yeah. on this song. Yeah, let's give a little props to Elvis Costello. No, he's a good. Guitarist. He's a good guitar player. He's a, good he's a no very good guitar player, and he. A the, lot of people that don't play as well as he do get a lot more credit. Yeah, absolutely. And he plays at uh, what is he? Plays uh, the Jaguar. Jaguar? Yeah, that's a Jaguar. Yeah, Fender yeah. Jaguar. I always think. I, I mean. Uh, since I've been reviewing this album, I see him holding every kind of guitar in the world. But well, he's also got a Gretsch. I always think of him with the uh, Jaguar. Jaguar, yeah. Gretsch. Awesome. <laughs> um, so uh, this was the first single off this album, at least in the UK, yeah. and it hit number 16. It was a pretty big hit for him. I need to make a bit of a correction. I forgot we were doing the deluxe version of this album when I talked about the one-two punch of the next two songs. Uh, so... Uh, uh, Don't go back to Chelsea is not a power pop song. <laughs> <laughs> All right, with that correction in mind, we will go on to the third song on side two on this uh, alternative. Sorry, don't edition. want to go back to Chelsea. Whatever. Yeah. Don't want to go to Chelsea. What did I say? I'll get. I'm the one who screwed it up. Don't want to go to Chelsea. I Listen, just call it Chelsea. Want to Chelsea. Go to Chelsea. Yeah. That's all parenthetical. So Chelsea's yeah. really the name of the song. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, lip service. If everybody is going through the motions, everybody is going through the motions. Are you really only going through the motions? Lip service is all you'll ever get from me. Lip service is all you'll ever get from me. Ah, this is the song I was talking about. Hand claps abound. <laughs> <laughs> Here's it. Here. Hand claps are a uh, 
a tradition among the power pop. They absolutely yeah, you can't. are. I, you could talk to my wife about how big a smile I'm like get on my face every time I hear a hand clap. And the yeah. bass line in the song yeah. is maybe my favorite bass line on the whole album. I love the bass in this song. And it's got some sort of chorus effect yeah. on it. I mean, this was 1978 when it was yeah. being made, and chorus had just come out. That really, that was that's a pretty new thing. And uh, Nick Lowe was a bass player. He was a bass player. Is a bass player. I do want to say that that's saying something because this album has amazing bass all throughout it. Oh yeah, it it, it it's incredible. But this is my fa- probably my favorite bass. It's line my favorite bass line in a whole. Because, well, it's you know what it is. It's tuneful. I, I've always it's a very tuneful bass line. Attracted to bass lines yeah. that actually have a melody to them. That I know this is going to surprise people. But that's why I'm a Rush fan because Getty plays. Well, that's why you're a Beatles fan you know, too. Why I'm a Beatles fan as well. Both of those bass players play melody. I mean, uh, yeah, you know they have. You can you could sing along to the bass line of both of those basses, and you yeah. can sing along to the bass line in this song. Yeah, am I really wrong could. to think that one of the Things that we associate You're with wrong. punk rock is uh, <laughs> bass played way up high on the neck. <laughs> well, and also slung way down low on the waist. Yeah. And a wide leg stance. Look, at, So you look cool, but you don't really know what you're doing. Well, um, but I, I do believe that we, uh, maybe it's uh, also um, New Wave that has the bass way up high playing the well, I mean, that start, and that started with melodic bass uh, way up high. And I think that that has to do with uh, Joy Division's influence. Yeah, like you were saying, Doug, playing high up on the neck as yeah. well. And you just like the whole, the bass kind of carries the whole song. And I think that's kind of what's. Maybe, what, yeah, yeah. I think that's what's going on a little bit here. Yep. I'm, I'm getting a little uncomfortable talking about bass so much. <laughs> uh, living in paradise. I do. I want to say if the la- if the, if those two songs I was talking about, Lip Service and Hand in Hand, or Power Pop songs, this is to me almost the perfect new wave song. I was about to say is a like a Caribbean number. No, I think it's almost like a haircut one hundred no, kind of deal. It feels new wave to me because it's got kind of that. Uh, I don't know, just something about it feels very very new wave to me. I mean, I I, I could. I'm not going to disagree with you. It doesn't sound. Well, it, that I didn't it's... understand what he meant until he said there was something about it. <laughs> well just um uh, just the kind of the funky rhythms going yeah on. It's but that's uh, the, the, I, I don't know it's i mean not, like split ends were doing this kind of stuff eventually uh, and i i'm i'm gonna give some props to ellis costello i think that he but it does sound kind of a little bit swinging a little bit caribbean a little yeah. bit um, i don't i don't think of split ends as caribbean but maybe that's well s- six months in a leaky boat that's got kind of a Caribbean. Yeah, they have boats in Caribbean. They do. <laughs> Caribbean. The Caribbean. The Caribbean. Lipstick Vogue. Is this a result of his working with Estee Lauder? Not just another mouth of lipstick Vogue. It's you. 
So can I say? <laughs> can I say about the, the? In my weird imagination, when this song comes on, I picture an LP with the needle bouncing all over the place. I don't know how this song can be contained in the grooves. This song <laughs> is pure energy. And if this song doesn't make you want to, if you don't listen to the song and say, man, I wish I could see this band live, you just got no soul. And they've done it. <laughs> they have done it. If you ever look it up, seeing them do it live, it is amazing to see them do Here, it. Elvis Costello will just be playing the hell out of the guitar and just. Even at the point where everything drops off and it's just the drums, yeah. even that's energetic as hell. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, I mean, and it's definitely, lyrically, this is a very angry young man singing the words of this song. Yeah, yeah. This is a song about the last of the Lipstick Vogue, right? Well, I don't know much about makeup. I just know it's important and it needs to take up most of the counter space in your bathroom. (laughs) On track six, side two, Night Rally. Well, it's based on. I mean, it's a song about the uh, the uh, what Elvis Costello at the time saw. Uh, uh, I was doing my Elvis Costello. Uh, what what uh, he saw is a rise of fascism in the National Front in the UK, and um, this song was replaced on the American version of the album. Columbia took it off and put Radio Radio on for reasons we'll get to in a minute. But Elvis Costello always felt that that did a disservice to the American listeners by not having this. This song is great. It's a great song. I wouldn't say it's a great closer. I think Radio Radio is a mm-hmm. great closer. But this song is fantastic. And it's, to me, the most mature-sounding song on the whole. Well, I was about to say, this is the most kind of arty song yeah. on the album. It's got, it's got that synthesizer coming in, and he sings over that synthesizer, and yeah. the drums come in. And it's it's a, it's a, it's a really yeah. good song, and it, it but it's... Very much a departure from the rest of the album, in my opinion. And you can hear uh, what he talks about uh, about his his the gap in his teeth when he says "nights." Yeah, like the night is just like a punch when he when he sa- every time he says "night" for night rally, it's like a punch in your face. Um, I, yeah, I I I I agree with him, and it should should have been on the album again. I don't know if you close with it, but it's a it's a fantastic song. Yeah. Radio, radio. Dun, this, dun, is a, dun. this is a notorious <laughs> song. That I can hardly believe they really think we're getting out of control. Radio is the sound salvation. Radio is cleaning up the nation. They say you better listen to the right side of reason. But they don't give you any choice because they think that it's treason. So you had better do as you were told. I think Doug was referring to the Saturday Night Live appearance. Well, no, there's a Saturday Night Live appearance, but this was banned on uh, BBC Radio. I think it was banned on BBC Radio because it's anti-BBC Radio. (laughs) Yeah. This this is taking a shot at 
corporate radio. Well, what it is is he was he was extremely pissed off by the way the BBC was treating God Save the Queen um, or Anarchy in the UK, I guess, is actually one of those songs. <laughs> they were they were not they were about so the, the, band, the Sex the Pistols, sex yeah. Songs. All right, so this song was originally. Uh, recorded or, or written early on and it was a song called radio soul which um at the time was more influenced by elvis Costello's love of springsteen and if, mm. when you listen to that version radio soul that was uh from his his um pub rock band um flip city you can definitely hear the springsteen influence on it he changed it when this bbc issue BBC Radio issue came out with the Sex Pistols and he changed it to Radio Radio and made it a a critique of the censorship and this idea that the radio is going to save us, so to speak. Um, but but what's interesting is this song got some notoriety because I mean it's it's kind of funny how all this comes into play. Um, they were asked to play Saturday Night Live because the Sex Pistols were supposed to play that night and couldn't because of their visas. So they were a last-minute substitution for the Sex Pistols, which I, you know, considering the amount of, of grief that Lauren Michaels has given Elvis Costello for what I'm about to talk about, I can't imagine the Sex Pistols would have done anything yeah. remotely as tame as this, you know. Yeah. But anyway, so, so the story um, is there. You are. Yeah, he said. Uh, he said that the band didn't really. He admits they didn't give the 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 show much of a chance because they were already upset because the, the record company was telling them what they needed to play. What he want, what they wanted to play was less than zero, which is a particularly British, um, based song. It's about, um, a British scandal and Elvis Costello's like the American audience isn't going to get this. Yeah. Um, plus <laughs> kind of funnily, if that is a word, they already thought of that as an old song off their old album. My aim is true. Mm-hmm. So they didn't want to do it. So the, the first song they played was Watching the Detectives, went fine. Then they were the record company wanted them to play Less Than Zero. Elvis Costello didn't want to do it. So uh, what happens is they go into the first couple of lines of the song. He stops it abruptly, and he says, we're not going to play this song. This is not the right song to play or something along those lines. Yeah. And they launch straight into Radio Radio. The legend is, while they're playing it, Lauren Michaels is flipping them the bird the entire time they're playing it. Double fisting it is what I heard. <laughs> Whatever. They were angry about it. Um, this was supposedly what Elvis Costello said was there was an incident early on in his uh, television watching career where Jimi Hendrix had done the same thing where he's playing Hey Joe and he stopped abruptly in the middle of his performance of Hey Joe and played Sunshine of Your Love by The Cream because The Cream had broken up the week before. So he's influenced by that. Plus there's the whole thing about causing a scene and, and, and the press involved with that. Anyway, he was banned from Saturday Night Live because of that act. Until he played with the Beastie. Well, actually, no, no, he played before. He that. played that. He played on the other side of Summers. Yeah, I think is what he played. But what was funny? What the other funny thing about it is Saturday Night Live got a whole lot of um, hell. Yeah, no, they they play this clip all the time. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, and so for someone who hated the fact that it happened, they got a lot of use out of this clip. Anyway, regardless uh, of any of that stuff, the record company felt that because of the notoriety involving this, that they would replace the last song, Night Rally, sorry, Night Rally, with Radio Radio, Radio, Radio. and uh, put it on. And it has become a a staple. I think he might even start a lot of his shows with the song. It's like... It's a fantastic song. I'm sorry that the people... 
Saturday Night Live didn't like it. <laughs> well, the thing that I love about it is it it's, does start off with the idea of you know, you're lying in bed, you're listening to music, and it, it and you're it's your soul's salvation, and it's like and you, you and get then it to, starts getting preachy. It's just preachy, right? Exactly. And well, uh, and the and the BBC was infamous for that kind of, I mean that 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 country is infamous and that particular broadcasting network is infamous for their censorship yeah don't put government in charge of your radio <laughs> <laughs> I love Elvis Costello I think he has written some of the best music of the 20th century I'm not really familiar with anything he's done in the 21st century I lose interest in him so quickly and there are people that are you are, talking about like things that he's done? You're not talking about like you listen to this al- this album, you lose interest in it. You're talking about s- projects he's done later. The project that he has done later. So my opinion is, people like Elvis Costello, and then there are people that are absolutely insane about Elvis Costello. After King of America, yeah, Little King of America. I lost all I, I, interest. I think I think that you, there's a bit of giving him the benefit of the doubt, allowing him to do what he wants to and spread his wings. I mean, I feel that way. I remember being excited when I heard about Almost Blue, and then actually listening to Almost Blue, and, and just being like, and being like, this, yeah, but then a you, bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I I don't disagree with you. I think I, I mean I, I'm happy to I'm happy that he tries to keep things interesting, and I think from time to time he does something that I'm I really like. But it, it's here, here's the thing about him though. I I I I, I think it's got to be tough to be somebody who put out those first four to five albums he put out and not wanted and, and someone who like him who wants to do something different, but that's like a albatross around your neck. People are looking at that going, "This ain't what you did before." Yeah. Um, well, who, who else have we talked about that had that same deal? And Van Morrison, yeah, he yeah. put out those. I guess that was five or six albums that were just unbelievable. It's like he couldn't stop. And yeah, then, uh, and then Springsteen did the same thing. Yeah, and it's it's got to be up. tough because people expect you to sound like that all the time. And as an artist, you get right, bored. Like, yeah, and especially someone like Elvis Costello who listened to so much different music as a child and liked it all. He's like, I want to try this one. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about one of my favorite bands, Sunvolt. Sunvolt sounds like Sunvolt sounds like Sunvolt. Yeah, that band does not never, stretch its wings. And ever. Wilco has... Wilco has. They've, they've laid I'm, some turns, I have not too. been willing to follow Wilco on that trajectory. Yeah, Other people knows. are. We uh, but Sunvolt, you know, that's the thing. So I, I give him some props for doing that. I don't listen to that stuff, uh-huh. but I respect it. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've talked about one of... Uh, England's most remarkable songwriters, a fair singer, a good guitar player, and he assembled a fantastic band and has many of the most highly regarded albums in rock and roll. In the 20th century, yeah. <laughs> in the what? In the 20th Caveat century. You don't, want to, 20th you don't century. want to go on to the next century. I understand <laughs> that, but... Um, we're not really that good at going on to the next century. Yeah, we need to work on that a little bit. <laughs> Even though I'm very interested in Jason 
de Rulo. <laughs> and Harry Styles. Hey, I'll get my youngest daughter to talk to you about Harry Styles. She loves him. He rocks, or he does whatever they do. One Direction, I think, right? Isn't that the lead singer? Wasn't he the lead singer on One Direction? I think so. What, what the hell? Are you I, don't, I don't know. You gotta have. These you gotta have. Weren't even born. You gotta have teenage kids to keep you in line with what's hip and with it. All right, Jam. Um, before Tony brings us into the new century, uh, we need to rate this album, and uh, we have two ratings here. One is the rating that we would give it if we were a impartial critic. That should be if we were an a, impartial critic. Uh, and then we have another rating that we would give it if uh, it was just our hearts speaking. Jam, where are you on this record? Uh, if I were a critic, I would give it a 4.5. Uh, as far as a personal rating, I'm going to give it a 4. This is an album I do listen to regularly in my rotation of albums. And this is on a scale from one to five, by the way, yes. ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Tony, we used to call you T, but we can't tonight because we're not talking about the mafia. What would you do? I would give this album as a critic a four point eight. Thinking as a critic, I mean, you read all what the critics say, um, and put myself in that mindset. I'd give it a four point five. I, this is one of my desert island discs. Well. I do, I do like this album, and critically, I think I would be about four point seven, and uh, I'd give it a, I'd give it a four for how much I like it, um, which is, I, I understand that this is a very talented man, but um, he's not singing too much about things I care about, and he's also got a voice that I can only hang on to for one album. Boo. So, boo. Alright. Haters gotta hate. Um, <laughs> but I do recognize his extreme, enormous talent. It's it's a matter of taste that brings it down to four, which is pretty high. It is high. I, I still I, get booed. Tony! Yes, Doug? You hang out with the kids down at the old ballpark. <laughs> you know what they're into. Perhaps you have a recommendation for us tonight. Well, Doug, if they're not into this, they need to be. I think you and I both, um, to get prepared for this episode, uh, we're reading Elvis Costello's autobiography called Unfaithful Music Disappearing and Disappearing Inc. It is, it is an amazing book. It's funny, heartfelt. Uh, I, I don't. You could probably add a million other adjectives on it. Um, a- absolutely compelling. Um, it, it it makes me want to somehow, if I could possibly go have a drink with a guy, I would love to just sit next to him in a bar and just let him tell me stories. Well, the thing I picked up from this book is this guy is smart. This guy is clever. This guy is obsessed with his father. Um, this book is not chronological. No, it's it's it's, it's essays, but it, but it so makes it's it, like a collection of essays. But it's interesting because of that, and I think um, it's a guy coming to terms with his legacy. And I think the the thing that I find most fascinating and I appreciate is he realizes what a jerk he was in the past, 
and he doesn't shy away from it. No, I agree with that. And uh, he's got some jerk stories. He he does not um, shy away from a, a bunch of things, like the songs that he might have borrowed. Yeah. Um, no, he wears all of his influences and the and the, the uh, behavior that he might regret. Yeah. No, he's, he talks about the lot. And, and the other thing about the book is it's immensely funny. It's very funny. Um, if you're stupid, you won't get the jokes. But uh, anybody that's not stupid, I think you'll find this uh, very amusing. Also, uh, Tony is reading the book. I'm listening to it. He is an exceptional reader. Uh, it is perfectly clear that this is a well-read, highly intelligent person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's no mistake that he's able to write such compelling lyrics because this guy can write. I mean, yeah, I mean it's like what you said about the Springsteen. It book. is. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's yeah. it's. Uh, I've, I've read uh, many biographies by songwriters and uh, Bob Dylan, Springsteen, and Costello. So far, are the ones that really can write. Again, unfaithful music and disappearing ink. Highly, highly, highly recommend. Even if you're not that big of an Elvis Costello fan, which I don't quite get if that's the case. <laughs> you got this book is so entertaining, it's worth picking up. Or or as Doug said, listening to it. Well that's it for tonight's show. Next week we're going to be looking at an album by a band from East LA. Perhaps the most famous band from East LA. Los Lobos, and their 1992 album, Kiko. For our host, Doug Cooper... Our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. This is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11, and reminding you to pump it up. That's why we edit. I know. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, as you know, we're number one podcaster focus of the family, and we do not appreciate <laughs> that kind of language. <laughs> I kind of find the damn song. We think Satan got inside of Tony. <laughs> which is easy since he's Catholic. It's <laughs> significantly harder since I'm Catholic. Hold on a second, Jam. I'm sorry. No. Cat Satan's love Catholics. Satan's? You believe in plural Satan's? <laughs> I don't believe in uh, assigning a number to Satan, I think. Okay, I got it.